Hey, TYT, I'm Naomi Kanz. We're in Baltimore right now uh, for the Congressional Progressive Caucus. They're meeting, uh, they have a summit, a strategy summit, and they've invited leaders from all over the world to talk about progressive policies and actions and a strategy moving forward in this, this post-Trump, uh, post-alt-right world that we live in. You may recognize our <laughs> guest from being everywhere in the news and also from our coverage of, of Puerto Rico in the last you know, several months, we have Mayor Carmen Julín Cruz, Julín, who has been so gracious uh, to sit here with us in the midst of, of so many people wanting to talk to you. You were on a panel yesterday yes. and you talked about the recovery in, in Puerto Rico and, and you went all out and said, um, you know, there are Democrats who aren't acting like Democrats when they go back to the to the island, but they're acting like Democrats here. Can we start and uh, talk about yeah, that? Yeah, I, I started saying, and it was sort of a metaphor, just because something has, uh, you know, blood in their veins, it doesn't mean they're human. Mm. In a vampire diaries, vampires have blood in their veins, but they're not humans. So um, if you are uh, talking about charter schools and about privatization of our school system, and the Fiscal Control Board is saying, look, we're going to um, reduce from 10 of the university campuses. We want four or five of them reduced to get some cuts, expenses. And we're going to reduce pensions. And if you have a government passing legislation that says that employers can go to the courts to get an injunction before, <laughs> this is even funny, before employees or unions go on strike or have a demonstration because they feel that there will be a perceived uh, beforehand, you know, this is like Minority Report, the Tom Cruise uh, film where they would, you know, arrest you prior to you committing the crime. Well, this is a legislation that was passed uh, a, two weeks ago in Puerto Rico. And then we have the privatization of the... Um, the PREPA, the Puerto Rico Electrical Power Authority. So, you know, that, that's not a democratic agenda. Forget about progressive. That's not a democratic agenda in the United States. So uh, there are people in Puerto Rico, including the governor, that says, I'm a Democrat. When he comes here and pushes statehood as if it was the only alternative. But when he goes back to Puerto Rico, he acts like Donald Trump. Talk about statehood before we get into uh, the history of. Puerto we can Rico. talk about anything you want. Okay, you know, in the states, when when Puerto Rico is discussed, the answer is always statehood. Statehood would solve everything. Uh, it is much more complicated. Yes. On the island, and there's a history of other movements uh, in the past. We, where did the idea of statehood become the the common? Solution. Well, first of all, let me tell you that it's a very valid idea. Um, just as independence, just as um, what, what I aspire for, which is free association. And I'll answer your question, but I've often tell people in the States, don't commit to a result. This is a nation in the Caribbean who has very deep Latin roots, but who also has a lot of intertwining and intermingling and intermarriage with the United States. Um, the legislation, the banking legislation, which is under assault right now, it's very mixed in. It's, we use the same banking rules. Uh, we get a lot of federal funding. We're not plugged into the world economy because we're not allowed to uh, because of the restrictions that are placed upon us. So 
so I think um, a, a good chunk of the American people may think, well, why not become a state? Uh, why not become equals? Um, and there's something to be said with becoming equals, but there are other ways of becoming equals than becoming part of the United States and eventually losing our cultural identity and our, and our heritage. Um, so Puerto Rico was um, given to the United States in 1898 in the Spanish-American War. And we were in the cusp of getting some autonomy from Spain. So that all went back to square one. And then uh, there was military rule in Puerto Rico. And now there's another type of rule, who's the Fiscal Control Board. Seven people were appointed by the Congress of the United States to make any decision based on Puerto Rico. The, the promesa, uh, which is promise, and they may have promised something to Wall Street and the hedge funds, because they certainly didn't promise what they should have to the Puerto Rican people. And they're not from Puerto Rico, right? Uh, some of them are. Some, are, okay. some of them are, but, you know, Uncle Tom Cabins, right? I mean, it's uh, sometimes the, the worst fear comes from within. Um, there's about two of them that are, one of them that has ties, and the others are, two of them that were part of administrations that really defunded Puerto Rico are part of, of these, uh, th this fiscal control board. So there's two things that are very important for people to think. The fiscal control board was sold as uh, something good, but... One, they have sovereign powers over anything that the elected governor, even though we don't see eye to eye, he's an elected governor of Puerto Rico, and the Puerto Rican Congress does. So already there has been legislation that has been passed where the Fiscal Control Board says you have 30 days to change it or we will change it for you. So if that's not colonialism, um, and it's a harsh word, I know no, it is, it, but it's, it's even harsh, harsher to be one than to say, uh, say it. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that they can sell our natural resources. They are afforded uh, the power by legislation to sell our natural resources. So really there's two uh, municipal islands, Vieques and Culebras, and they could say, I'm selling them to a developer for them to do as they wish. And, and those are two things that, you know, when every... Do you have kids? No. Well, I'm sure you must have heard this from your mom or dad. When you are very young, your parents buy clothes for you and you have no say. When you're about five or six, they say, what's your favorite color? And they may buy stuff for you that it's around what you like. But when you're 13 and 14, you want to buy your own. Mm -hmm. And your mother says, you know, you can choose from this or this. And you say, no, I want that. And then you hear the words, this is my house, these are my rules. And as long as you live under this roof, mm -hmm. you will buy what I tell you to buy. Otherwise, make your own money, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's what is happening in Puerto Rico. 60% of the Puerto Rican population lives under the poverty level. So what we aspire for in terms of a progressive agenda, um, it has to do with ensuring that we can tap in into the world economy that we, don't, we sit down with our brothers and sisters from the maritime unions and say, let's, let's carve out a path uh, that will slowly unshackle Puerto Rico from the Jones Act. Mm -hmm. And when I speak to people about status, which was your, your original question, I say, 
don't marry the result, marry the process. So I, I am for free association. So that means you and I sit down just like anyone would sit if you want to marry or live with somebody and we'll say, okay, what are going to be your responsibilities? What are going to be mine and what are going to be our joint responsibilities, right? And what usually gets in the middle of that is the U.S. citizenship. And people will say, we were granted citizenship by a law in 1917. So today, the U.S. Congress could say no longer from now on, in theory, no longer will Puerto Ricans be American citizens. Well, that will be good for those that are born who are born from parents that are not U.S. citizens. My daughter was born in the States. Uh, this, this is true. My daughter was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If my daughter gave birth in Madrid, she would go to the U.S. Embassy and just write down, and her child will be a U.S. citizen. And if her child gives birth in Argentina, they would go to the U.S. Embassy for, for heaven's sake, they could be on vacation in Cuba now mm -hmm. and go to the U.S. Embassy and just take care of that. So that will only apply for uh, people that are in Puerto Rico that are not U.S. citizens at the time of the change of legislation. Uh, you may have to, but from there on, write a document, but we have to do that anyway when you register. And, and you give birth. So this idea of the U.S. citizenship has been held above us and said, look, you lose your citizenship. That is not true. You can only lose it for high treason or that you renounce to it. That, that's the only way you would lose your citizenship. That's the only way I could lose my citizenship. So, but let's say we agree that in 20 years, in 10 years, every person that is born in Puerto Rico will continue to be. U.S. citizenship. That's for the U.S. to decide. It's, it's, it's the American citizenship, right? I personally would like to see two citizenships, the Puerto Rican citizenship and the American citizenship. That is not foreign to the U.S. There are tons of people that have two citizenships and the U.S. does not say anything. So what I often say is marry the process and let's talk about a constitutional assembly which is not foreign to the United States because that's how the United States got assembled, mm -hmm. right? 13 people that were uncomfortable with the lack of ability that they had to uh, preach what they wanted in terms of, of their religious uh, affiliation and their association, but also that were clamoring for being unshackled from economic restrictions. That, that is the genesis of this country. So I often say, I love the pillars upon which this country was built so much that I want them for my own country. Mm. So the minute you say from the state, I believe in statehood. Everyone has any right to say it. But about 48 to 50% of the population in Puerto Rico will just go, you know, will not listen. Uh, because we are, unfortunately, divided very, very uh, poignantly in that, uh, that, that wedge is right there. It's not a line drawn in the sand. It's a big wedge uh, between us. So I, I, as much as I would love to push for free association, um, I do when people ask me, what is it, the, the general uh, agenda? But I spend much more time talking about the process because I believe those that believe in independence, mm -hmm. uh, in full independence, 
those that me, myself believe in free association, uh, which is a pact among you know, two countries, and those that believe in statehood have every right to pursue their dream. What we have to ensure is that the path to reach that dream is a path that allows for the truth uh, upon which those three or perhaps another form of, uh, of coming together with the United States will look, look like. What will be the commitments that the United States and Puerto Ricans will take upon? And transparency and an education process for everyone. A lot of people, not in the States, uh, don't know that after the, the Constitution was signed, the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution, it had to be, there was a period of two years where the federal pa uh, papers were written and Hamilton and Hancock and all, and all these great, great men um, had to fight it out to see how much power the federal government was going to have and so forth. And then it had to be ratified by, the, so it was a long process. This wasn't a process that was overnight. We see it in a, uh, you know, perhaps a Steven Spielberg movie and it takes an hour and 45 minutes, but it's much wider, longer. And it took a lot of, of reaching out deep into the soul of America. And, and we have to do that. So, so my, my um, shout out to every congressman and woman out there is don't, don't marry the process because this is something that the Puerto Rican people should be able to decide. The last 100 years or so, a little over 100 years, um, since the Spanish-American War, since the U.S. Uh, made Puerto Rico a territory, there's been a lot of, um, I mean, there was a massacre, for instance. There, there well, were... In Ponce, yeah. Yes, there was a nationalist, there, was a, there, was, there were Nationalist movements. movements. Yes. And, and I think it would be fair to say that they were crushed by maybe the corporate state that was very involved in, in at a certain period in colonial well two two things one we were we were given the citizenship uh, just in time to be drafted for world war one um, and number two puerto rico was a huge sugarcane plantation uh, and uh, my great-grandfather cut sugarcane in one of those plantations in the middle of the ocean there was a cyclone fence for Puerto Ricans to bathe on one side of the beach and Americans to bathe on another side of the beach. The pews in the church, first ones were set aside for Americans. Our houses were painted yellow. Those that were fortunate enough to have houses um, around the sugarcane plantation and the managers of the sugarcane plantations or houses were painted white. Um, Look, discrimination has followed humankind forever. Um, and, but discrimination always does one thing. It divides the haves from the have-nots. You have or have not the right color of skin according to somebody else. You have or have not the right gender according to somebody else. You have or have not the right to learn to read and write according to somebody else. But usually it's the economic power that controls that. Um, even in the mythical world of the Amazons, right? W what did the Amazons do? They, 
they went somewhere else so that they could control the powers to be. And they, they figured out that was the only way to do it. That, that's a very, very um, out there example. But in the search for equality, people have always looked for the equality and access to the services and the economic power or the political power that will help them free the shackles of economic domination. And unfortunately, disaster economics is, is a textbook uh, scenario for Puerto Rico right now. So coming from that place and the history of, of these economic corporations um, seizing you know, the sugar, Domino Sugar, for instance, mm -hmm. is, is um, the, the company that comes to mind. Now we're at a space where um, there's no taxation without representation. So you already had a debt crisis and vultures were swooping in. And now there's another disaster that... And vultures are still sweeping in. They're swooping in. We have been following some of the, the folks who are there looking for economic opportunity. And some might be offering uh, some humanitarian aid and you know, small dollars for them because they're billionaires. But uh, they're pretty open about being there because they, they don't have to pay taxes. And they see uh, quite a few Puerto Ricans fleeing the island and going to the mainland and an opportunity to buy up um, you know, one Real out estate. Of, what is it? One out of a, a four Puerto Ricans has foreclosed on their homes, and uh, there's there's uh, foreclosure is a real issue, and in, in, in San Juan we have been handling. And part of the meetings that we had here at the at the forum was how do we connect with those that are socially uh, responsible and that really want to ensure that a fair economy is what emerges from this. Um, but 500,000 Puerto Ricans are estimated to have left Puerto Rico to the United States, 500, 500 millionaires have moved into Puerto Rico. 500,000 people have fled. 500 millionaires have moved to Puerto yeah. Rico since the debt crisis? Um, well, no, 500,000 since September. Uh, and, um, and 500 millionaires since about three years ago when um, the government uh, that was the party that, that I'm in was in power started using a tool that was <laughs> put forth by the prior government who is from the same party that is in power now that says that um, millionaires don't pay uh, a lot of the taxes. They pay, most of them pay zero taxes. But I know a few of those that are socially responsible and that are ensuring that they do things and move towards green energy and that they're assuring that they do low income housing and they're not making a killing. So, you know, it, it isn't having money that makes you being socially unconscious or conscious. It is who you are mm -hmm. as a person. Uh, but unfortunately, we're getting uh, more of our share of those that just want to see us as a personal playground. The other day I got some, one of them from the Bitcoin thing that, that uh, said, oh, Mayor, stop saying that there's no electricity in Puerto Rico and let's just move forward. And you know, I'm here to buy up a lot of real estate in San Juan. And I said, and we're here to make sure you respect our laws. So when you feel empowered to, to just you know, 
throw your billions around. Well, I, I don't care if you do that as long as you respect the law, as long as we don't sacrifice our natural resources, and as long as we ensure that we are doing what is best for the great scheme of things, not let's do a killing, and uh, which, is, which, is what, which is why it's so painful what the governor is doing right now with PREPA. You know, there's still about 20% of people coming to the six months without any power. And um, I love the word in English, because it's without any power. Without any power. Okay. We'll call it electricidad, no? Uh, we don't call it poder, so. Um, it, you could start a trend, you could switch it. <laughs> yes, that's right. But, but what he's doing is he's using the pain and agony and anguish of these people to say, oh, if we privatize it, it will be better. Well, really? really? When has that worked? The results are in. Have you been to Detroit? Yeah. Buffalo? Look at Katrina right now with the school system. Oh, if we oh, privatize it, then charter schools, it will be better. Well, no, for those of my compatriots that say, look, if Puerto Rico was a state, everything would have been done like this. I say Katrina, that's the one word to say. And then we've made our own mistakes and we have to own up to them. The Puerto Rican government gave the Whitefish um, contract, which was ludicrous. 130, $300 million contract for two people in Montana, whose prior experience was a million dollar. That was the, the uh, paramount experience that they had. $130 million contracts for uh, roofing at, for another very small company, but FEMA has done bad also. They gave a, a more than a hundred million dollar contract to one woman to deliver 50 million meals, uh, one million meals in Puerto Rico and only 50,000 were delivered. Now I ask the American public when Watergate happened, did the American people say, now let's go to dictatorship because democracy eh, <laughs> didn't go so well. No, you know, just because someone screws up something, you don't impose uh, challenges that are, you know, weakening democracy. And, and that's what is happening all over. And unfortunately, the Puerto Rican government right now is, you know, um, playing to the tune of it. It's almost like they have headphones. You know, the Manchurian candidate that he heard a code word and he started acting accordingly. Well, uh, all of a sudden, he, the governor has heard a code word and has acted accordingly. He's privatizing everything. I had a conversation with somebody here that said, oh, by the way, um, you know, we had a conversation with the governor about uh, privatizing prisons. And I said, what? And just today, there was a, a, um, a news piece saying that, oh, the correctional department is saying that they're closing prisons temporarily. Really? Crime is going up. Oh, my God. So why, how come you're closing? And, but they say they don't discard the possibility of, you know, renting the prisons out. Renting them to whom? The government? How do you, to the prisoners? I, I don't know. I don't know. So, so but, but what that tells me is that when that person yesterday said, oh, by the way, we're, uh, you know, having some conversations to, so what else are they going to privatize? You, you know, the governor, right now his father was governor a few years ago. He sold 
the health system in Puerto Rico. He sold it to private hands. To do something that was very good, to socialize medicine, you know, and have equal access to equal services. That was, that was the, the main goal behind it. Well, we don't have equal access to equal services. We're in debt because we can't sustain. The municipality of San Juan pays $64 million a year towards that system. We have 10% of the population and we pay 32% of what all of the other municipalities pay. 167 million is paid by all of the municipalities, 64 is paid by the municipalities. So I say with all those billions of dollars that supposedly we're getting from the federal government, let the municipalities not pay for the next two years and that will make the cash flow better for the municipalities without forking any additional monies out. Because what is happening, uh, Will and Barber wrote a book, If Mayors Could Rule the World. And what is happening is that mayors are the ones that are the, the custodians of essential services. And why should essential services be public? Because they're the great equalizer. You know, I am here sitting with you right now, not only because of the honor that was bestowed upon me by the voters, but because I got a good education, because my grandmother got a good education, because she believed in it. And at the time, it was very well noted in Puerto Rico that you needed education for upward mobility, to you know break the ceiling from extreme poverty into the middle class. What we're doing now is that we're crushing the middle class. So you mentioned education. There's a bill that has quite a bit of support in the Senate that the current governor's father once put forward and it was defeated, if, if I'm correct? Yes. Uh, we, we met it, with it Secretary... It was found unconstitutional. Found unconstitutional. And we, we met with Secretary Kelleher while we were there a few weeks ago. And she's she, an interesting person. She's a fascinating person. Uh, it, was an, it was a... Let me tell you why she's an interesting person. We, she closed close to 300 schools to save $5 million. And she just gave a $16.9 million contract to a U.S. company to teach children values. Did she define so, what those values were? Well, that's one thing. First of all is, how are you going to close 300 schools to save $5 million, but you have $16.9 million over here? Well, you know, the rules need to change. She's going to tell you, well, I, I had to use them for this thing. Well, you, you put up a fight and you say, I don't need to use them for this. The greatest value that I can teach is the value of a good education. So let me use this. Five million of this, 16.9 million, so that I don't have to close 300 schools. Because what you do when you close a school is you really are tearing apart the fabric of that, that community. And um, then you perhaps are making children go to school on their own and walk to school and so forth. Um, because public transportation is not good in Puerto Rico. So uh, when she was presented with the evidence, that number one, that same company, five years ago, had done the same thing for $600,000. Mm. And number two, the University of Puerto Rico has a program. The Office of Governmental Ethics has a program. She said, and, and I quote her answer, oh, and how do you expect me to know that these programs are available? Was I supposed to go to the university and get it done? 
she walked away. She walked away from a meeting that the where she asked to be invited. She asked to be invited to the teachers association. She walked away because she had been asked for specifics about charter schools and how do you make education better. She didn't have the answers and she walked away. You know, if a student had done that to a teacher, they would have been in detention. And the governor of Puerto Rico did not receive the teachers union and Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers. He did not receive them. So, you know, for democracy to work, we have to ensure that we don't let anyone take our rights away. And that in a peaceful, which does not mean non-combative manner, it means peaceful but non-combative. Uh, you, you can be combative and be peaceful at the same time. That we push forward the agendas that we see and others push forward the agendas that they see. And that in an equal footing, then people continue to make decisions. Democracy is not something that you do it once every four years. It's, it's, if, if it's truly going to work, is a continued clashing of ideas. We'll be watching. So Ms. Keller has, uh, has a very difficult job. Um, I was against school closings when the popular Democratic Party administration did it. So I've been against my own party when they haven't done the right thing. I've paid the price for doing it. I have been honored to pay the price for doing it, and I will continue to pay the price because the one price I'm not ready to pay is when I ask myself, when my time in this earth is done, what, what, what were you prepared to do? Now, what were, it's okay to talk about dreamers, but what are we prepared to do to ensure that their dreams come true? What are we prepared to do to ensure that we put health before wealth? What are we prepared to do to ensure that good access to transportation is seen also as good access to having jobs? What are we prepared to do for gender equality? Are, are we really prepared to pay the price? And sometimes I have to scratch my head because there is no price that we shouldn't be willing to pay. No, none. Mm -hmm. Not even the ultimate price for ensuring that the world is a fair and egalitarian place for everybody. So if you have to scream a little louder and work a little harder and stand a little taller, Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.